Welcome to the Path for Tom. Jamie Rinder, your host today. A um, lot of fun news again. I, I like it when we can start with positive news, and we're going to start with Larry Elder in California. So Larry Elder is running for governor of California, and all of a sudden, magically, the other day when they listed the candidates, his name was not on there, to his surprise. And uh, so the Secretary of State, who is in charge of listing the candidates, decided that Larry did not qualify because he did not list his tax returns uh, according to her specifications. And um, anyway, and what I found interesting on that is uh, Governor Newsom didn't have to list his at all. And so anyway, Larry, and I love this. I mean, this is the... Uh, the age of Republicans fighting back or conservatives fighting back. We're not, we're not taking this laying down anymore. We're, we're fighting back. And so Larry uh, instantly goes to the court and, uh, and he wins and he wins hands down. Uh, the judge basically, uh, <laughs> it's just a, a slam dunk win. And what turned out wonderful about this is Larry Elder got all kinds of free publicity because of this stunt. And uh, so Larry Elder is uh, is a head start in this campaign. I think he's got a good chance of winning. This man is articulate. He's a fighter. And uh, I think, you know, and, and what's interesting about if I'm if I have this right in a recall election and when you have this many people winning, it's just whoever has the plurality. Is that right, Brian? Do you know? Yeah. So I think there's like 40 some odd people running. I mean, it's a crazy amount of people running. So I think Larry Elder has a chance on winning the governor of California. That's how um, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger ended up getting in, is on that recall a number of years ago. And unfortunately, Arnold turned out to be quite a disappointment for us conservatives. But uh, anyway, Larry Elder, I don't think will be a disappointment at all. And I think he's got a good chance of winning. And thanks to the Secretary of State of California, she gave him an incredible boost of advertisement and publicity and uh, he is on the ballot and uh, it's going to be fantastic. I think that was a, a, a good jump start for Larry Elder in as governor of California. So going to go to another um, story that uh, is kind of, you know, I shouldn't say disheartening, but it is a little disheartening is ratings of black and white relationships are all time low. And that tends to be where the media are wanting to divide us are on the black and white lines, uh, not so much along the Latino Caucasian lines or Latino black lines, but it, it is the black and white lines. So that is the area that I focus in on in trying to bring relationships together between um, black and white Americans together. And uh, so that needs, you know, obviously all relationships between any of us in America uh, always need to, you know, we need to work on being good neighbors and good friends to uh, anyone that we work with or neighbors with or go to church with, anyone we have those connections with. We need to make sure we're always reaching a hand of friendship and making sure that we're kind and and uh, and trying to get to know uh, one another and uh and having those positive connections with each other. But specifically in this area, we need to go out of our way and make sure 
that uh, we are good neighbors, good friends, good employees, good employers, and having those hard conversations, trying to overcome those barriers that the media continues to try to divide us on. And uh, so this is this is the area that I that I work in. And the other day I had my friend and I and I call her friend and she is a great friend. She'll stand up for me as much as I stand up for her. But she is a Black Lives Matter chapter president up here in northern Utah. And uh, we don't agree on a whole lot politically, but she'll come in and she'll sit down and have a great conversation. And and actually, she's come a long way to uh, kind of shifting to the center but I uh, had a, actually a really good discussion the other day on CRT and realized that uh, her perception of CRT is not really the perception that, or of what CRT really is. And so as we were able to break down what critical race theory really is versus what she thought it was, uh, we realized we were a lot closer together. And I told her, I said, hey, I'm all for history. I'm all for history, good, bad, and in between. We need to teach history, and uh, but we need to teach history in a in a in a perspective, a worldwide perspective, what was going on in the world around us, and and we need to teach it in the perspective of how we overcame, you know, the, some of the struggles we've gone through, and and where do we go from here? And so we actually agreed on things, and though the media would have us disagree, and I had a few other people in there with us as we're eating lunch together and discussing this, and she said, "Hey, can we, can we get a group of people together that can kind of a quote on her side and and those on my side to actually sit down and have a conversation?" She stated. And that's where it really starts is a conversation. She didn't say a debate. She said a conversation like we had. And that's where we need to start is having real conversations. What do we have in common? So this study that they did or the poll, it says two years, a nine point drop in overall positive ratings on race relations. 33% of black adults and 43% of white adults say race relationships are good. 40% of black adults say race, race relationships will eventually work out. That's down 14 points. And uh, so anyway, it is on a downward trend. We need to find a way to correct that and push it back in the other direction. And that comes from one person at a time and uh, one attitude at a time and us just continuing to do our best every day um, to not get our backs up against the wall and get defensive, but to go out there and try to have these positive conversations and try to change one heart at a time. So, um, again, I think as we get people like Larry Elder in, and uh, there's so many, so many good, great conservative black Americans out there that are getting involved in the political system. Uh, it's exciting to watch. And, uh, and because I'm in the middle of this, I get to know, or I'm more aware because I, they're just constantly on my radar of who's out there uh, running for office or who's out there being political activist. And uh, so I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about that because sometimes as I work with my friends that are doing all this activism, um, that we, we got to understand that there's multiple different processes that, um, that take place uh, to make change in our world. And one of them is definitely activism, having events, having rallies, having 
uh, speakers come out and talk to us and being educated. We have to have that. We have to be aware of what the issues are. We have to get the um, the body of the American people excited about being involved and becoming educated. Uh, but then there's the area that I think oftentimes gets very neglected, and that is the area of the citizens direct directly lobbying their legislatures. Uh, we get excited and we get out there and we vote. And then once these legislators are in office, the House and Senate members, both and not just House and Senate members, but city council members, county commissioners, school board officials, state uh, House and Senate representatives, uh, our congressional uh, office or uh, congressional representatives on national level, our, our, our Senate, uh, national senators, uh, once they get in office, the only people there that are lobbying are the professionally paid lobbyists. And that's where we lose the fight is that uh, we allow these professionally paid lobbyists, these corporate sponsored or specifically driven lobbyists by special interest groups take over our voices. We get really excited. We go out to these events. We get excited about a candidate or cause, and we vote for them, and then we wait two more years or four more years and get excited again and go out and vote again, and we neglect the time in between. And so that's where we have to kind of kick into gear and make sure that we become citizen lobbyists. And what I mean by that is we need to, and it's never been easier because especially with the Internet, uh, most states, um, most city council meetings are actually online. You can watch them on Zoom. Same with county commissioners or school board meetings. Um, Same with um, house hearings or Senate hearings. You can participate through Zoom, Zoom meetings especially since coronavirus has hit. Um, and so all these things are available, even if you can't make it down to the city council halls or down to your state uh, legislatures, you can watch these things and oftentimes even participate, sign up online to give your voice uh, over a Zoom call. Um, and then even if you don't have the opportunity to speak up in one of these meetings over Zoom, you can always write and uh, your legis- your elected representative or place a phone call uh, or email. So all these things are available and we have to stay on top of this and we have to look at what bills are being passed. Again, I, as I spoke the other day, we all have to find our niche. What, what area of interest that we're in. But if enough people are finding their area of interest, we're going to have a lot of people in every area that's important. Um, and we're going to be able to hold these elected representatives accountable. And by, again, as I mentioned the other day, the best form of a sanitation, if you will, um, in our public offices to keep corruption out is accountability is by knowing them knowing we're watching them knowing that we're involved. Um, the average person, if they know they're being watched, um, won't, won't usually be corrupt, but it's when they know there's no oversight that even a good person, if they know there's zero oversight and they don't feel like they'll ever be caught tend to, be corrupt. So that's 
We, as the people, as American citizens, have failed to do our job. We can blame it on our politicians, but the reality is we have failed to do our job. We have to be there. We have to be the ones making sure they know that we're actively interested, we're actively watching, and we're going to hold them accountable uh, to represent us, to make sure our tax dollars are being spent effectively, that people are being treated fairly, that our judicial system is being um, treating people fairly within our judicial system, that our judges are fair, that our judges aren't corrupt. I mean, every step of the way, and that's another area that terribly gets overlooked is our judicial system at local levels um, and throughout. So we've got to start, again, if you don't have a passion yet and you're looking for one, uh, find it in your judicial system. Let's start keeping a better eye on our judges at all levels and making sure that we're holding our judges just as accountable as we are other elected officials. So let me go to another story that I thought was uh, a really good read, and it was one on three conversations that parents need to have uh, with their children to to make sure their children don't become woke. And uh, so I think most people... If you uh, raised your children and you were in a conservative home and you lived, you know, a, a reasonable life, you weren't one of these fanatical parents that made your children resent you because you were so crazy fanatical conservative that they wanted to go out and, and rebel against uh, your life, that they may have gone a little bit liberal in college, but eventually they came back around. But uh, then, you know, they naturally picked up on those conservative principles. Uh, but now I think it's to the point where we have to really articulate three points. And I and I totally agreed with the three points that this uh, this particular author author raised is America is an exceptional country. And this one is one that uh, President Trump did so good at pointing out that America is an exceptional country because so often people want to tear down our country and only point out the flaws of America and unless you've lived overseas, unless you've been in other countries, you don't recognize how wonderful America is. Uh, I have had the blessing of living in two different countries. I've lived in Canada and Germany, which happen to be two pretty good countries um, outside of the United States. Um, and I saw some really good perks in those countries. But I also saw some things that I didn't like in both of those countries that made me realize yeah, we really do live in a great country. I'm going to start with Canada. I served an LDS mission in Canada, in Alberta, which is probably one of the provinces in Canada that is most closely like the United States. So I wasn't in eastern Canada that would be a lot different um, than the United States. Um, so, what I know, you know, they had um, free medical in Canada. Um, and so that was one of the things that everybody, you know, wanted to push in in America. Uh, and so for the basic services, it was pretty good. I mean, you, can, you know, get in and if you had, you know, a cold or you had, you know, some minor issues going on, it was pretty good service. But if you had major issues going on, it was not very good. Um, if you had cancer, if you needed major surgeries, uh, it was a very, very long wait and uh, as I got to know different families that we were working with that had some serious health issues, um, they would, 
it was quite a it was quite a heart wrenching uh, situation watching some of these families that were on these long waiting lists uh, to get in to have their families taken care of. So that that was just one thing I, I noticed uh, when I was in Canada. Uh, another thing, and I noticed this both in England. I went over to England, had some friends in England, and in Germany and in Canada, is that I think this free medical Medicare medical care got people outside of their thinking that they had a responsibility to take care of their their medical needs. I don't know what it was, but the worst teeth ever uh, in European countries. So I don't know if they just didn't, because it didn't take care of uh, dental care, but it seemed like they had the worst teeth. I mean, there just wasn't good teeth. Uh, people did not have good dental care in, in the countries from what I noticed. Hey, Brian, have you ever been to Europe? So did you notice this? Yeah, so so that 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 was another. Maybe it's just because I have a total teeth fetish. <laughs> I think teeth are extremely important. And to talk about prejudice or or and, and nobody wants to talk about this. We want to talk about racism against skin color or LGBT issues. But you know what? The biggest prejudice that are out there are, and I'll have a dialogue with you on this, Brian. Do you know what they are? bad teeth and being ugly. So would you agree with me on that? Can we legislate against bad teeth and ugly? And I, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying this jokingly. I'm just, it, it, we can't legislate against everything. And, uh, but there's, in, as an employer, I mean, and, and this is not something that, uh, I'm saying jokingly because I, I then this is something actually we can fix and we don't seem to be fixing it for people is bad teeth. Uh, Medicaid doesn't pay. Medicare doesn't pay. And a lot of dental or a lot of insurances don't pay for people to get their teeth fixed properly. And this impacts people on getting jobs. It impacts people in their personal life. It impacts people. And this is something that's actually fixable. And we don't fix this for people oftentimes enough. They're bad teeth. And uh, so, and, and Brian knows I have a lot of passions in life. And so this is another one of mine. <laughs> I have helped multiple people uh, go through the process of when they've had really bad teeth, having their teeth pulled and getting dentures or having the proper dental work because bad teeth really impacts people in ways that we don't understand. Um, it impacts dating. It impacts, I mean, it impacts every area of their life. If you have bad teeth and that sounds like a, a trivial thing, but it's really not bad teeth impacts your self-esteem. Um, it's just, it's so it, the point I'm getting to is we can, uh, well, I'm kind of jumped off my European country point, but is that uh, we can't legislate every bias that we have. And a lot of things are subconscious biases that we have. And unfortunately we're going to have, you know, that we, as individuals have to overcome and try to look at people for who's on the inside. But subconsciously we do have biases against people due to bad teeth, perhaps acne or people who just aren't as pleasing to look, look at, or people like myself who may be overweight or, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have prejudices or biases against. But in, in Europe, back to Europe, is that I noticed the bad teeth concept. But uh, And then in Germany, um, we were in Germany in the military, 
And uh, the prejudice over in Germany is just outrageous. I, we had, uh, there's three of us, three different couples that came from the St. Fort Knox together. And two of us got there earlier. We were both Caucasian couples and we got houses out on the economy in the same little village, Fahrenheim. And uh, the third couple came who was a black couple. And we got with the same realtor and said, hey, we have another couple uh, here that's coming. would like to, you know, to find a house. We went to go look at this house with them. And all of a sudden, the house is no longer available once they realized they were black. And uh, and then we thought, that's really odd that, that, you know, the house was no longer available. And so we then uh, had another couple act like they were interested and called this same real estate company. And sure enough, the house was available for them. So we had them uh, taken off the military list for people who could provide housing for the military. But that was my first experience with uh, racism in Germany. Uh, And again, Germany has all kinds of immigrants that come over there that they've invited into their country to basically to supply a workforce um, to provide for their social uh, systems that they have in place. But this workforce that they've invited into their country, they do not allow to become citizens. So again, I mean, America, you know, we invite people over here. We invite them into our country to work. And uh, I'm not talking illegal immigrants to come over, but people we allow to come in. We eventually have a pathway to citizenship in Germany. I mean, you could have multi-generational people that were there with no pathway to citizenship. Um, so, I mean, that, that's just a couple of uh, different things that I saw um, in, in, those, in, in the two countries I was in. And then if you look in Canada right now and Germany, what was taking place during coronavirus on the, you know, the lack of freedom of religion, um, lack of freedom of speech. I mean, uh, America truly is um, an incredible place. And, uh, and, and the diversity and, you know, we're just multicultural, multiracial. I mean, we just, we are the greatest experiment and most successful experiment of humanity ever. As imperfect as we may be, we are an incredible um, and exceptional country. So that's the first thing that uh, we need to make sure we have, have our children understand. The second thing we need to have our children understand is if socialism is so wonderful, Millions would be handed. Why wouldn't millions of people be headed for Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea instead of America? So when we get back on the path for Utah, we're going to talk about this. Why are people headed for America and not for these socialist countries that are supposedly so wonderful because they have socialism? The third thing that we're going to talk about is that there's honor in every paid job. These are the three points that this author wanted to make that we need to make sure we're talking to our children about is that America is a great country. That socialism, if it's so wonderful, why aren't people begging to go there? And the third is there's honor in every paid job. So we'll be back on the Trump Tater, not the Trump Tater, but the Path Forward Utah in just a minute.
back to the Path Forward Utah. I'm Jamie Arenda, your host. Uh, just going to wrap up kind of the three things that we need to make sure we're talking to our children about is that as America is an exceptional country, that if socialism is so wonderful, why aren't people fleeing to these communist or socialistic countries like Cuba and uh, Venezuela, that these countries that are falling apart, that I can't think of a socialist country that everybody wants to throw some of these European countries out there, you know, Sweden and some others, but they're not socialist countries. They're capitalistic countries that have a lot of social uh, programs. Um, but the real socialist countries that have socialism are actual um, absolute disasters and nobody's fleeing from to those countries but instead they're fleeing from those countries and uh, the third is that every every paid job is a worthwhile job that if you can um, earn money and provide for yourself um, doesn't that doesn't mean you shouldn't always seek something better you should always be seeking something you can find more value in that you can provide better for yourself and your family in but uh, that every job has value and so anyway those are the three things we need to make and i have i have a friend of mine i'm going to jump my little adh brain going on here um i have a friend of mine senator john johnson here in utah a very very wealthy man um and uh, but he, if you sit down and talk to him, he, he just wouldn't jump across the table with you like, you know, he's this wealthy guy. But he has these kids and they work at McDonald's and they work at other places. And I think that's fantastic because um, they have are being taught the value of, of hard work and, and earning their own money. And so uh, I have a sister and her husband that do really well for themselves and they have always had their children work and and I think it's really in in one of the probably the biggest blessings that ever happened to us in hindsight. I say that it's always good to, to, to try to find the, you know, make lemonade out of lemons is that uh, we went through some hard financial times. And uh, it put my children in a position where they had to really kind of figure out life on their own, where they had to uh, and not we don't help them because we do, but not, we couldn't help them to the degree that we would have liked as far as uh, paying for all their uh, college education. Our first daughter, we paid quite a bit of her college and uh, our second daughter earned a full scholarship um, really to anywhere she wanted to go in the state of Utah. And then our third son ended up uh, joining the military. He's going to have his school paid for. And our fourth is now joining the National Guard and going to have his school paid for. So they had to find some other ways to get their education paid for. Um, and actually, since my uh, third son and my third daughter is about to graduate with her from PA school. And, uh, and then my Son, my third child is over in Afghanistan, not Afghanistan, but Djibouti, Africa, and we'll be back and starting school again. So I just look at this, and it's probably been uh, a great blessing for them in all reality that that we couldn't help them to the degree that we probably would have had we had more resources. It made them uh, be more self-reliant and try to find their own way. So uh, every job is a good job. And uh, we have to make sure that we are teaching our children that work is um, work is good and that they can't uh, have an attitude and think that some work is elevated about, above others. 
um, you know, there's definitely, you can always have your eyes set on something better, something that you would like to do more. I know my son, before he joined the military, uh, he took a, um, a job at Associated Foods and he was all excited. He was making $16 an hour and, and I uh, thought that was great. And he met this guy that went to Ben Loman uh, 20 years ago. And he, my son graduated from Ben Loman. And the guy told him, yeah, I was just going to take this job for six months. And, you know, here he is 20 years later. And my son thought about that. And he goes, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> but, you know, he did that job for about six months. And, uh, and then he almost had a pallet fall on him. And well, it did kind of fall on him. And, uh, but it didn't hurt him as bad as it could have. And so he realized, yeah, I really don't want it. This is a really hard job for $16 an hour, but it was a good experience for him. And he realized this isn't what I'm wanting to do, but it was a good job. And then he did Christmas tree lights on these big tall houses and, and uh, several people that were working on his crew fell off the houses. And so and then he sold solar panels. And so he went through this kind of series of different jobs for about a year and he learned a lot from each job, but it kind of led him to the point where he decided he had joined the reserves and uh, and get his education paid for that way. So every job he can learn something from, and each job has value. And uh, so anyway, these are the three things that uh, this person, uh, and I'll tell you the name who wrote the, this, this particular, oh, no, I can't because I jumped to my next thing I'm going to talk about, as Eric Clapton. 76 years old. It reminds me of, uh, got it. There went my brain again. My husband, and I went to a concert a few years ago. Um, man, I hate when I, I just totally lose the other day. Somebody asked me where my daughter went to a PA school and I couldn't think of the medical school she was going to. And, uh, so anyway, I've got to start taking some vitamins for my brain, but she's going to Midwestern. I had to say that out loud just so I remember Midwestern in Arizona, but, uh, Eric Clapton has 76 years old and he's out there just totally rocking it. I mean, I'm just totally amazed 20 years older than me, but he's out there rocking it and he's playing at these venues and he's made, I love it when we see these people making a stand and he says he's not going to perform on any stage out there where they're going to discriminate against the audience. If, so there's, uh, they're, they're, uh, some of these venues are saying, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come in. And so Eric Clapton is saying that he's not going to participate in that. So uh, he's not going to be going to these venues if they're going to discriminate against the audiences that are coming in there. Um, so where was the next? Um, I had another story that I was wanting to share with you that I thought was kind of a fun one there. Um, I just want oh, okay, this is the next one. So Turning Point USA uh, on Brandy, the porn star. Don't know what I think about this because I have mixed feelings. I know Brian touched on this. So if you haven't watched it, listen to the Brian Hyde show. I, Brian talked on this the other day on the Brian Hyde show, so I may have him pipe in and help me in a minute. But we talked, so Turning Point USA, Brandy shows up. Uh, she's a porn star, and uh, 
but she's also a, a conservative and she wants to participate in, in the Turning Point USA as a conservative. And they basically turn her away. And uh, so I can understand that in the sense that, especially at Turning Point USA, that you don't want Brandy being a um, a role model for these young kids and becoming a um, influencer uh, for these young kids. But at the same time, I have this issue as a female because in high school, I remember when a, a, a cheerleader got pregnant, they would be kicked off the cheerleading squad. But the football player who got their cheerleading cheerleader pregnant would not be kicked off the football team. So I kind of see it in this way, the same thing, is that uh, Randy probably had a lot of fans there at Turning Point USA uh, that watched uh, her art form, whatever you want to call it, and uh, that weren't turned away, and yet she was. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not a fan of pornography. I think it's very destructive to our nation. Um, but I think at the same time, at some point, we're going to have to have more open discussions on in the conservative movement on on sexuality and uh, trying to figure out exactly where to go here. Um, so in this particular article, I'm, I'm bringing it up, I think is a good article because it's actually addressing uh, the black American community on are the artists that, uh, that have a lot of uh, basically verbal pornography, are they going to be held to a different standard? Um, because you, you see just such hypocrisy, uh, and not just with Brandy. Uh, but you see it on a regular basis with different people wanting to hold one sexual situation to one standard, another sexual situation to another standard, and there's no consistency on on holding people to a standard when it comes to sexuality or sexual situations, and uh, whether it's things people say, um, whether it's the music, whether it's the actions, whether who watches it, you know, there's just so many different deviations out there of how we hold people accountable that there seems to be no consistency. And so that that's the only point that I was going to make here is that there's no, no consistency there. I don't want to see Brandy as a influencer. I don't want to see her as somebody that uh, becomes popular because she's a conservative, but at the same time, I mean, if she is a conservative in every area and this is how she's choosing to make her money, I don't know how it's necessarily a lot different than embracing people in that own, you know, shares and stocks or in the alcohol business or uh, drug businesses or uh, when I say drug businesses, I mean, pharmaceutical companies that definitely exploit people, um, tobacco businesses now that's been now legitimized uh, marijuana businesses though I'm not saying that there's not good good aspects to some uh, 
properties of marijuana that can they can benefit people. But I, I'm just again, there, there's just some hypocrisies there, and uh, does not seem to be balanced out on on who and who we embrace and what industry that is that has negative impacts on our society. So anyway, just food for thought on Brandy. Should she have been treated the way she was? I don't know. Uh, I definitely don't want her as a role model, but uh, again, it goes back to the days in which um, the football player did not get kicked off the football team and the cheerleader did. So that's just, that's just my thought. So on to Salt Lake City, Utah. We'll end on a Utah note. The city and the mayor of Salt Lake City, Utah, declared racism as a public health crisis. Now, I read through this, and uh, there's some issues I actually agree with on this. And it's not that – and I, so I think they, they – they, uh, I think what they did is they, they – I don't know – I think they framed it wrong. I think they, you know, putting racism up there. And and so it's the whole cause and effect thing. Uh, Is racism the cause of the effect? I'm going to say no, racism is not the cause of the problem. However, I do see that there are some problems that they listed out. And, uh, and so that's what I think we need to talk about the problems that they listed out. Are there some adverse effects that in, in the medical industry that impact minorities greater that don't get dealt with? Um, and I would say absolutely. Yes. Um, example, uh, like in, in COVID right now, the cases for Latinos are much higher in, in coronavirus than they were Caucasians. Uh, same, but then we have to think, well, why could that be? Uh, there's several factors. I mean, genetically, there's a factor. Uh, the fact that perhaps there's the living conditions of how many people live in Latino family households uh, could be a factor. Um, the fact that maybe the illegal immigration and flying people that were not uh, tested at the border and, and being flown and now into the homes of family members into the United States throughout the United States could be a factor. There's so many different factors that could impact that, that they listed here and that don't have necessarily anything to do with racism. But the factor is that, you know, the coronavirus does impact Latinos at a higher rate. There are a lot of different issues they brought up here on different cancers that are not detected among uh, black Americans that definitely impact black Americans at a higher rate yet go undetected or misdiagnosed or the, the screenings aren't done uh, properly for there's, there's a lot of things that are pointed out in here that are definitely true, that are definitely problems um, that we definitely need to look at. And I agree a hundred percent with the problems that were listed here are true problems that we need to address and find solutions for. Uh, I just don't agree with the title of this resolution. I think the title of the resolution is, uh, is divisive. Uh, it's not going to help find the solution. It's a, it's a 
the cause effect uh, aspect is not there. It's not proven. Um, and it's just, it's not going to lead to the solutions that we need out there. Um, let me just uh, touch a few more things that they have on here. It's really small writing. Technically, I had eye surgery, and I should be able to read this a lot better, but I can't. Um, okay, so um, I'm trying to find one of these that I was reading here. Uh, another one. Okay, the COVID-19 pandemic has illustrated the pre-existing structural inequities created heavier burdens of disease, death, and social consequences onto communities of colors in Utah. So I'm not for sure how racism did that, but again, the cause-effect thing, I don't think it's proven on how they put that out there, but I do think it's a problem. But I was talking to a friend of mine, the one I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, the Black Lives Matter leader that uh, I was having this conversation with, and... Um, and she told me, and she didn't get vaccinated, and she just got the uh, coronavirus, the um, Delta variant, and she was really sick, and uh, sick for like six weeks, and uh, or and she told me, she, and I said, well, why didn't you get the vaccine? I said, here, I'm one of these Trump supporters, and I got the vaccine, and, and so I was giving her a hard time on that, and she says, most blacks aren't getting the vaccine because they don't trust the government because of historically things that happened to the black community with some of the testing, it, which is a legitimate issue. And a lot of Latinos aren't getting the vaccination. Um, so that has nothing to do with racism in today's world, but it does have to do with some distrust issues that are out there um, with the black community and the Latino community may be different on why they're not getting the vaccination. Uh, but, you know, again, that's another topic. You know, they're trying to blame the unvaccinated all on Trump supporters. But the reality is there's a significant amount of Latinos and black Americans that are refusing the vaccination. And every every black American I know here in Utah, none of them have been vaccinated and uh, and they're not conservative. Most of them that I know. I mean, I do know a lot of conservatives here in Utah. And uh, but the other uh Black Utahns I know here, none of them are vaccinated. And so I, I do think there's an issue there that we've got to understand, but it's this cause and effect uh, thing that uh, we're trying to tie together here, and it's not racism. So we've got to figure out what it is. So I think the problems listed are definitely ones that we've got to try to understand, but to list it as racism uh, is an issue. So uh, another one, uh, black, black persons in Utah are significantly less likely to be screened for, uh, I can't say this right, uh, colorectal cancer, but more likely to both um, contact and die uh, from this cancer. So again, why aren't they screened for it? Again, I don't know, but I don't think it's racism per se, but it, maybe it's lack of awareness uh, it's something that definitely needs to be taught better in medical school or, you know, uh, be screened better uh, in in our clinics or maybe um, it's, you know, in the annual screenings or maybe uh, maybe they're trying to tie that uh, 
maybe blacks don't have uh, I, I'm not for sure what it is, but I don't think again, I don't I'm not tying it to racism, but there's a problem there. And we got to understand what the problem is. Uh, black and Asian babies born in Utah are more likely to have a low birth weight. Uh, again, if that's a poverty issue, I, I'm not for sure if you can tie that to, quote, racism, but we can tie it to poverty. So we have to understand and try to alleviate that poverty. Pacific, Pacific Islanders have twice the rate of infant mortality uh, than the statewide average. Again, these are, you know, these are problems we've got to look at and evaluate, but how we can tie the cause and effect of these problems that they're listing here. Uh, so for them to tie all this into racism, I think made it where people aren't going to take the problems as serious. And so I think what they did is uh, they listed some problems that really need to be paid attention to. And they made it a lot harder uh, for everyone to want to jump in. And, and I hope that's not the case, because I think we all need to, to look at this, you know, these problems and say, how can we fix the problems? I remember a few years ago, I was supporting Dr. Mike Kennedy uh, running for uh, U.S. Senate, and I took him to a Juneteenth event um, in which he actually was addressing. And so this is a uh, he's a medical doctor, and he was addressing some of the these same disparities uh, uh, at this Juneteenth event. He had a table on um on medical disparities and he had this panel and they were discussing medical disparities that are out there. So these are real disparities that exist. We need to address them. We need to find solutions for them. We need to become more aware and we need to make our medical institutions more aware of these disparities. So anyway, on that note, uh, we're going to end our program on the path forward Utah. And just to realize that there are problems out there, we need to find solutions to these problems. Unfortunately, when they're framed in ways like this, people get their back up against the wall and uh, we get we're you know, it just rubs people wrong. And I think they definitely worded this resolution in a way that make people want to kind of fight against it versus fight for it. But uh, again, this is one of those situations that we can't necessarily say we're not going to help find solutions to this because we don't like the way this was worded. Um because these are real problems. We need to find solutions to these problems. However, I do not feel like the cause and effect that they listed here are truly the cause and effect. Uh, however, the problems are there. Let's find some solutions to these problems. Let's be aware that the problems exist. And let's see what the actual cause is to these problems. Again, like on the Latino communities, account for 14% of our population, but 40% of the state's COVID cases. Uh, let's try to understand why that is. And uh, again, I think there's just some demographic issues that we can probably point out right away. And that is Latino households have a lot more people living in their homes um, than the average uh, family does. I mean, there's a lot of things that, uh, that, can impact this. And, uh, maybe there's, uh, you know, the actual, um, genetic predisposition. I mean, there's a lot of things that can impact that outside of racism. So we've got to find out what it is and find the solution 
for these problems and make, you know, make the corrections, make sure we get people the proper help that they need and deserve so we can uh, help people that stand in need of help on these areas. So anyway, make sure you tune in tomorrow for Bob McEntee on all things Utah on that he'll kind of keep us informed on those things that we may otherwise never think about um, and need to know on what's going on in our state. Um, if you have not been through Ogden, Utah, or if you live here in the area, make sure you stop in Brixton's Baked Potato for one of the best baked potatoes you'll have or a fantastic salad. We have Summerberry, our Cranberry Walnut Chicken, and our Asian Sesame Salads. We also have some of the best smoothies in town. I don't mention that very often, but stop in for a wonderful smoothie. And uh, don't forget to check out TrumpTater.com as well. I kind of forget about my little Trump Tater character right now, but we will be doing something with him before the years out. So anyway, thank you for joining in on the Path Forward Utah.